Hello, my name is Jim Judges, and in this episode of The Character of Comedy, we talk to Logan Murray. And we get to hear about his experience performing comedy, acting, writing, and teaching the techniques of stand-up. His talent and humour has graced numerous television shows, including Packet of Three, London Underground, Connect Four, Virtually Impossible, and Karaoke Fish Tank, to name just a few. But I was especially excited to meet Logan, as he has the honour of playing the manager of the shoe shop in one of my favourite Peep Show episodes. He's collaborated extensively with fellow comedian Jerry Sadovich and the odd tin of baked beans in the show Bib and Bob, and as far as character comedy is concerned, he's known also as alter ego Ronnie Rigsby, described as a cynical, foul-mouthed variety act from hell, with at least 50 years at the bottom end of showbiz behind him, and nothing to show for it but utter contempt. Wow, well, there's a lot to unpack, so let's get stuck in. I can see from your your book, getting started in stand up comedy, that uh, you've been performing comedy for a long for a long time, at least nineteen eighty five, and that yeah. that's where the book starts anyway. So, would you mind introducing yourself, Logan? It's great great to be talking to you at last, and just tell us who you are and uh, a bit about your background and how you got into comedy, perhaps. All right. Oh, cut. all right. Well, well, stop me if I go off if I get yeah, too wobbly. Please. But um, but my name's Logan Murray. Logan Murray. I've been doing comedy man and boy now since uh, I think my first gig was 1984. Wow. Um, but I started making a living at it about 1985, 86. So it was a completely different world then. It, it sounds very glib to say it was a mistake, but it really was a mistake. It was not, uh, I was not intending to do this. I thought I was, I thought I was going to be, I, I went to art school. I thought I was going to be a graphic illustrator. And then I sort of veered into fine art. And because I was a complete arsehole, I started veering into what we call performance art, you know, which I suppose you'd say like installation work and stuff like that. So just massively lazy, self-indulgent, you know, war is wrong sort of thing. This is in the late 70s. And I signed up for this, my first degree, I signed up uh, for this bachelor's uh, called performance arts. And of course, I thought, no, oh, performance arts. What they meant, though, by performance arts was dance, drama, and music. So I actually, and I got, I got a place on it, and um, it was a complete mistake. I was, I was, I was thinking I was going to be, you know, an art college, but I really, really enjoyed it. Where um, was this then? Whereabouts? This in the is world? at Middlesex. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, up at up at the end of the of the Piccadilly line, just uh, just by Cockfosters, yeah. and it was an idyllic place to be for three years. It was just like yeah. fields and. You know, very every late seventies, so everyone was quite um, experimental. And we had some brilliant tutors, anyway. So, so I finished that, and like a lot of young men, I thought, well, the only thing I can do is out of this is perform. So, and I can't play an instrument. So I thought, well, and there was no comedy circuit to speak of in those days. So I thought, well, I'll just I'll act. And then I thought, well, how can I get my equity card? I need to get some contracts together. And there was this thing called alternative cabaret, alter alternative comedy. So I started doing that with a group of musicians. And then another mistake, they couldn't make one gig at the Banana Ballon. So I pulled the short straw and had to phone and apologise. And, and, and Andy Waring was massively cross. The promoter was massively cross, as he should be. We gave him no notice. And I was completely simpatico with him. Anyway, I said, well, maybe I could do a couple of my stupid poems, which is what I did in those days. And he said, uh, I don't really like poetry. Then he phoned me back and said, oh, actually, somebody saw you do them at Jonglers with the group and they're quite good. So yeah, I'll trust me 10 minutes. 
So he did 10 minutes just to fill up his bill because it was like 24 hours notice. And he said, well, if you ever fancy doing that again, I'll pay you. So I thought, ah. But at that time, everyone was doing, there was a handful of people doing stand-ups and the rest of us were doing really weird musical acts or ventriloquist acts, uh, you know, or, or, or yeah. you know, or, um, I mean, the, some brilliant acts like Ian Savile, the Marxist magician. So he did uh, magic, but it was all sort of within the, uh, you know, the context of the works of Karl Marx. It was very funny. Uh, and there were politicians, you know, uh, the, the band with um, John Hegley, uh, Jeremy Hardy, Mark Steele. And then a, about a year later, there was Mark Thomas, Jerry Sadowitz, um, the John Dowie before then. But there was very, and the Jenny Lacote, but there were very few people doing stand up per se. Yeah. You know, yeah. we were all just fumbling around finding a way. This is about 1984. And I was very lucky to get a, a year's residency with the group at the King's Head Crouch End, which is sort of quite everyone's talking about it right now because the the you know the short the film that's been made about the the oldest comedy club in london because it is the it is the not necessarily the longest club but it's certainly the longest club at the same venue i'm fascinated because um you will realize now but with the power of hindsight you didn't realize it at the time but you were entering the world of comedy at a really interesting time because um there'd been that shift hadn't there from the uh, traditional comedy or there was that shift to this alternative comedy and i'm quite interested in that idea that the it feels like there was much more variety and more room for the quirky uh, and the and the weird then than maybe there is now. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think then it was a case of, it's probably state of the bleeding obvious, but we didn't know what we wanted. We just knew what we didn't want. Yes, so it was like yes. it was a, like a lot of art. It was a reaction against something. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of comedy, it's a reaction against something. Mm. So we knew, you know, we didn't want to be Bernard Manning. We didn't want to be Terry and June. Yeah. We wanted to be something. We were all scrambling around yeah. trying yeah. to find out. And, and I mean, you know, there was a sort of, in my opinion, and the opinion of others as well, it was like a big sort of mix of a dollop of punk, quite yeah. a lot of feminism, yeah. a little bit of um, musical tradition, yeah. a little bit of Monty Python and Spike Milligan. And a bit of bit of circus as well, because even yeah. a bit of juggling and fire yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. oh, unicycle. No, <laughs> used to be also like well Paul Zenon you I'm just name dropping now, but, yeah, no, please. You know, like everybody everybody did it well how did you get from that then to it uh, perhaps paying the bills or uh, maybe becoming more of a um a major uh, part of your life well, then just, how, that, well it just happened I mean and it happened really really quickly because it was a golden time when there weren't that many acts so you'd actually get promoters calling you up to book you <laughs> And, yeah. you know, and, and, and you know, it felt like I felt like, you know, the hatters before the Industrial Revolution, you know, going, yes, I might be able to squeeze you in. And then a couple of years later, the world and the mother wanted to do it. And we're all scrabbling yeah. around going, no, please yeah. book me. But okay. for a while. But yeah, so it was very easy to um, I wish I'd known. Yeah, I wish yeah. I'd known then that it wasn't going to be a nine day wonder. I yes. don't know whether I made anything differently, but, but I had no, no idea it would bloom into what it's bloomed. Yeah. yeah, so what sort of stuff would you be doing back then then? What was your it act was, like? It was um it was quite serious minimalist music. So okay. we had a cello and we had two opera singers. It was just like we used to do a lot of Steve Reich music, like so like there's a, a thing called clapping music where uh, some it's the same rhythm, but then somebody beat comes in a little bit different, somebody comes different. So it was quite hypnotic stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and some of the music would go on for seven to fifteen minutes, right? But as we're doing it, I'm getting more and more quirky. And then one of the one of the blokes came up with uh, Tony Tony Coleman, who a lovely man. He was one of the original Bollock Brothers. 
okay who did all this experimental music but he wrote this brilliant piece of music called the last train to oakwood and i wrote a long poem called the last train to oakwood which became the end of my set when i went solo for okay. about seven or eight years yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. before i graduated onto stand-up yeah so you just get booked for i mean back in those days oh god that sounds like such well, what was your group called then what were you it called? was called it's called pulse which pulse. i always thought was a terrible mistake because everyone thought we were some sort of reggae outfit and, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah but we but we i mean i was the least i mean i'm least talented is insulting the others i couldn't play anything yeah, it was just, they occasionally let me have the Glockenspiel, <laughs> but um, but they just wanted a sort of a big Stanshall type frontman, okay. like Bonzo Dog Doo Dah Band, yeah. just to because they were too they felt they were too introverted to introduce the songs. So and yeah. you and you found that it got more comical then the audience yeah, yeah. Yeah, wanted the uh, yeah. the laughs. So maybe it started off more serious, but then you found opportunities to to squeeze in gags and punchlines yeah. and yeah. and more. And of course, as we're playing places like Jonglers and that, he was yeah. encouraged you know um and and the tunnel club it yeah. was it was encouraged for us to be funnier and you know try and be as funny as possible because we're you know we're comp- the hacklers were just on another level back in those days <laughs> so it was just you know survival of the fittest what what happened next then you talked there briefly about going going alone so uh what what happened next as far as stand-up and comedy in your career well i was just a i was just a special act coasting for um i was a deliberately bad poet you know, like my my, I wouldn't say I was a character act, but but it was an extreme version of myself. It was like a, yeah. you know, you know, massive ego, low self esteem poet with a, a a massive stick up his ass, um, with a vision for the world that is, was no vision whatsoever. And that's even that's it wasn't even that. It was just a grown man dicking around basically. Um, yeah. yeah. I did that for seven years, and my intros got longer and longer. Uh, so Were you performing a slogan then? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So about seven or eight years later, I was going out with another comic at the time, and she said, "Well, why don't you just ditch the last poem and just do all the intros and become a proper stand-up?" <laughs> so, so I did. But all that time, so what what happened from about eighty-six to oh, I don't know two thousand is that I was just a gigging comic. I was just a bloke who gigged four times. You gig twenty-minute sets four times a week yeah. at minimum. You know, if it was more brilliant and. The three months ahead of my calendar were always full up. So I knew that the rent yeah. or the mortgage would be paid. And because I had that as a baseline, it very much was a Wild West. Somebody come a lot of gig and they'd say, uh, can you do voiceover? And you go, no, probably. I don't know. So you'd end up doing voiceover. Yeah. Or, um, I mean, I've done, I was just bragging uh, yeah. to my girlfriend please, uh, please. that I was in, um, I did three episodes of Grange Hill donkeys years ago. Yeah, ah. just no, nothing. Yeah, nothing big. <laughs> yeah, but all is... these things, all these yeah. things just came out of being a gigging comic. And, yeah. I, and I always say, yeah. I say to, to new comics, you know, I know it's it sounds like a cliche, but just say yes. Just say yeah. yes, because you can always say no later on. Can you perform? Yes. Yeah. Yes, you can. Of course you can. Yeah. Can you present? Well, yeah, you're presenting yeah. yourself. So you could probably present a crap game show or, yeah, you yeah, know, an yeah, award yeah. ceremony or something. Can you act? Well, you're acting yourself. And that's yes. mostly, you know, you can write, you can do... This is such a good entry level oh, drug. What do you what do you think other... about what do you think about that? By the way, the idea of the comedian migrating across to actor, uh, perhaps comedy actor, and we see quite a bit of that with some mm-hmm. successful comedians going into films and the, and the like and TV. Is that an easier migration uh, for the comedian to become an actor than it is for an actor to become a comedian? Uh, do, you, do you have a view on that, even? Well, I saw, uh, yeah. I mean, I think if you 
probably there isn't a problem if you're any sort of talented uh, performer. Well, not I say talented. Don't give me talented. Just if you're if you're a good listener, right? You know, if you then you're probably either you could be a comic or you could be an actor, and and cross paths. But I do think you think about people like in the old days, like Max Wall, yeah. who made a fantastic tragic actor, um, and Les Dawson. Yes, uh, in some yes. things he was a, a brilliant tragic, you know, a, yeah. an absurd actor in in some of the play for today's that he did. So um, whereas it's funny when you get, I often think, especially when I'm working, when I'm doing workshops, sometimes yeah. I'll have actors on the workshops that have to strip back the skills yeah. they've picked up as an actor. Well, I think all all stand up, um, whether you're doing a character act or you're doing yourself, it's the idea that you're having a conversation as just you're the only one talking. So you're using exactly the same skill set that you'd use in real life. Yeah. When you're at a party or you're meeting mates or something, you, you know, you're letting them in. You you know, and obviously you don't want to do that necessarily at a comedy club, but you are letting the audience in. You're reading them. You're yes. taking the looks as, uh, you know, yes. you're responding like that. And I think a lot of a lot of other art forms are about presenting something. You know, it's like, uh, here's an artifact. Here's a song that I wrote. Here's a poem I did. Here we are in sunny Spain. And it's like they're presenting this this thing yes. for your delectation. Yes. And it's it's much more, I think, all live performance comedy is much more like jazz. It's me, yes. this idiot, talking to these idiots here. Yes, yes, yes. And finding yes. out what those idiots think back. I certainly, yeah, I certainly think it is conversational in that in that way. Uh, in the even if you're uh, dominating the conversation, yeah, yeah. then then you're you're still looking for the nod and the encouragement. And for the comedian, we're getting the constant um, uh, reassurance and encouragement of laughter or applause or or, or whatever it is. Yeah. So just give me a few highlights, uh, maybe of 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 some of the work you were involved in, and then what you moved on to do to do next. So where were we then? You've 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 been encouraged perhaps to drop your poem, turn into uh, more perhaps uh, stand up, and yeah. and you'll appreciate. I'm interested in um, character comedy, so we'll think about where that comes in. But uh, yeah, yeah. what 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 happened next? Do you want to pick out any highlights? Or All right, um... so I guess about 1992. 1993, I'd be, I graduated. I'd, I'd, I'd gone through my dilettante phase, and I thought, right, this is a business. I'm going to treat it seriously. Partly because I saw the next generation coming underneath me who actually saw that you could get on telly, or you yes. could do this, you could do that. Well, we never thought that, or very few of us thought that. So, as I say, just four gigs a week, get food on the table, uh, with the assumption that it sounds very arrogant, the assumption is that you'll pick up four or five TV or radio jobs every year, which will pay that much better, which seems arrogant, but it's, it's not meant to be. It's just that no. if it's happened for the past three years, you can assume it's happened. It's going to happen the next three years as well. Yeah. I auditioned for the office for a part that was completely unsuitable for me okay. and didn't get it. But, uh, but I picked up a, a really nice piece in um, a show called people like us, which oh, was a, yeah. uh, uh, it was a, tra a transfer from radio to um, like a, a TV mock documentary. I did all the voices for Dennis the Menace and Nasha show, oh, which you're immensely proud of. Which that ah. and that be about that be maybe must be 1990 when I did that. So remember, I turned 30. But all that stuff was like there were just there were just cherries on top of the cake. There were yeah. not there weren't plans. No, um, just came. But along. about about between 94 and 96, 
I started mucking around with a very funny woman called Kathy Dunning, who uh, and Sheila Hyde, and we we did we took a, a show completely. No one saw it, but we had great fun doing it at the Edinburgh Festival. And at the same time, I started to do stuff with. I think that was the same year. I started doing stuff with Jerry Sadowitz. So okay. we started doing the Bib and Bob show. Jerry hadn't been working for a bit because he'd had a massive falling out, uh, and he, he just he's he's great at just walking away from things if he needs to you know uh, yeah. i don't need you anymore yeah. um but he, he because he used to occasionally come to gigs that i was doing we were having, we were having a laugh and he, he lived down the road from me so we we're having a, a laugh anyway and he suggests why don't we do something so we did some stupid things which were just li- i mean the edinburgh show for example when we got we got up to um the assembly rooms yeah uh, and, we, we, and the on the poster it said late night filth which would give you a rough idea of the yeah. level of stuff so it wasn't big and it wasn't clever but we had loads of fun doing it yeah um so i did that uh, for a couple of years off and on with jerry we did the reading festival uh i mean headlining in the comedy tent which is great because i'd done the reading festival a couple of years before but never um Head- headline that's good so you were doing bib and bob did you say with jerry yeah. uh yeah. and then and then what happened next then moving on over the next few years perhaps oh, we had or... a few we had a massive falling outs every two or three years always about money and then we'd always get back together um and theoretically I haven't seen him since before COVID, but theoretically we're we're still doing Bib and Bob. We just I just keep on saying I'm too old to get covered in baked beans. So that's how the show <laughs> finished. Oh, that but, was, um, that was but, a, major, a major part of it, was it? The baked beans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so I think one thing that helped lead into the teaching, yeah, um, was about 1988. I did a part-time MA um, in perform performance arts again. Um, And I twisted every essay into comedy because I always felt academics were the more I was phrasing things like an academic, the less true it seemed to be to my experience of being a a performer. Anyway, so my my final thesis was, I mean, you know, loosely loosely titled The Fall and Rise of Stand Up Comedy. You know, the idea that, you know, it it was a bit of a lull and then we came, we came along and said, of course we did. But, you know, we came along and we did this with it. And then it was, st- and it's really funny. Um, I moved house recently, and I was, I was flipping through the uh, the thesis, and all the problems people have a go uh, talk about now about is political correctness gone too far, and oh, yeah. uh, you know you can't yeah. say anything these days on wokeness, <laughs> and <laughs> and surely a joke has a target. Yeah. Exactly the same arguments yeah. we were all having in the nineteen yeah, eighties. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah. because I guess taboo cultural norms. Yeah, there's always yeah. going to be a line, isn't there? You know, yeah. and, and and things have definitely changed. You know, in the last uh, ten years, maybe the last five years, but uh, certainly in the last forty years, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but but there's always a line, isn't there? And and comedy is all about going up to the line and putting a toe or two over, isn't it? Really, wherever yeah. that wherever that line is. Um, but don't you think? I mean, my I, my view on my character act uh, is that. He's the idiot in the routine. So I remember the argument we used to have in the in the eighties and the nineties, where we'd all, you know, comedians would go, "Yeah, yeah," but every joke has to have a target, doesn't it? So you've got to point a finger at somebody. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah, but you could point the finger at you. And I think there's two ends of the spectrum yep. uh, of of the human condition where comedy's concerned, or or where social dynamics are involved. Yeah, and it seems one of them is that we're happy. To point the finger at the outsider, the person yes. who's outside the group, and go, "Ha ha, you're different," and that makes us all feel much better and much warmer and much bushy-tailed and mammalian. Ooh, are we good? Because we're going, that person's not like us, right? 
And of course, you know, that leads to Nuremberg rally. That leads to, you know, God knows, you know, to, but also leads to Irish jokes. It also leads to Essex women's jokes. It's like, yeah, yeah we yeah. they love it because they're different. Old people, they're stupid, aren't they? Young people, yeah. you know, all yeah. that sort of stuff. And of course, that was a view. Every joke, yeah. all Every the supposedly non racist, non sexist comedians from alternative comedy going, but yeah, this is stuff. You know, so we're being non sexist and non racist, but we can do jokes about the Welsh. Yeah. And we yeah. can do jokes about older people. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that we just moved the target a tiny bit. Anyway, there's that. Uh, or there's the bit where you're pointing the finger at yourself. That's right. And, That's right. and your idiocy is shared with the audience and they they recognize in your case i love your act and in your case they the, my take on it is they go yes yes we get this because we could be that person too if we didn't you know they, you know what i mean I think, he's taking I, I think so i think i mean i think as as far as ian crawford cutlery safety experts concerned yeah he's kind of the boy you know he's he he's the only one who's interested and excited by this stuff and and he sees um danger everywhere you might say but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you you're right and and people do do lap that up and i guess if you take somebody like Al Murray, who's talking in a particular way yeah, and yeah. is misogynistic and xenophobic, then really we're laughing at his old fashioned thinking and perhaps mm-hmm. what is judged by today's standards as as wrong thinking. So you're right yeah. though, he's the he he's the butt of the joke, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I and guess. also I think the writer knows it's or after they've tried it out, they know it's funny. Yeah. But the person they're presenting on stage takes it deadly seriously. That's right. That's Do you know right. I mean? And that's, that, that's yeah. I mean, you're a really good example of that. But that's exactly how I feel with my act. I take it that he, all those things. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, he really means it. Well, we, we should yeah. we should get on to that because I'm interested in, in the character and how we sell the character and the differences and similarities between stand-up uh, and, and characters. So you're doing some acting and you were doing stand-up. How, how did you end up uh, doing character material? Again, bit of a mistake, really. I mean, I've been, I've been doing, I've been doing, you know, Edinburgh shows where we'd be doing a cast of thousands amongst the yeah. two or three of us, you know. Um, yeah. So that was good fun. I always like mucking around. But the mistake that led to my character act, Ronnie Rigsby, was I was doing a, I was doing a, a kids' TV show called Virtually Impossible. Uh, uh, it was on Friday afternoons. Only ran for one series. And I was playing a computer-generated fish called Codsby. And I was doing a very anodyne, Midwestern voice, like a computer, Crosby and a computer. And uh, the, the, it was by the same team that did Dungeon Master. Exactly the same sort of show. Uh, anyway, the producer said, Tim said, uh, I've booked us in for this animation festival in Cannes. Do you fancy coming along? And we all went, yeah, yeah, we'll go to Cannes. So it was in February, freezing. We got to Cannes and we were at the wrong festival. We were at a festival where people were just flogging um, Encyclope- Encyclopedia Britannica CD-ROMs to each other. Oh, right. just, yeah. just like, and everyone was bored. Oh, they, okay. the, people said, the people who should have been there were bored. We'd realised it make it terrible. We're showing off all the technology, um, which was really cutting edge. You know, we we're generating 3D images with these huge boxes called Infinity Machines, which okay. are laughable now. But yeah. you'd go, yes, we're generating a million polygons in this box. And then we go, now you go, of course you are, mate. My phone can do that before breakfast. But one of the guys who designed everything, Brian, he had this um, he had this animation that was quite revolutionary at the time. So he had this face on on the screen it was a bald bloke with a little 
toothbrush, moustache and a bow tie, yeah. big chubby cheeks. And he could move his head one way or the other way. He could raise his eyebrows. But the revolutionary thing was, if you spoke into the microphone, his lips moved. Uh, okay. So, so okay. they, so he said, we were so bored. He said, you might want to have a mess around with this. Yeah. And he gave you the mic, and he said, "So who are you?" And I said, "My name." Bearing in mind with this terrible, terrible festival, we yeah. shouldn't be at. He said, "My name is Ronnie Rigsby, and <laughs> I today I'm celebrating 58 years in showbiz right now." And then they couldn't drag me off it for the next three days. I was like, uh, "No." Uh, no, and <laughs> and I made a point of not wanting to repeat myself. Okay, you know, it's completely yeah. improvised material. Yeah. but for the, but I wanted to. I just I didn't know it, but I was sort of getting into the idea of like, what's the game? What's yeah. the game? You know, it's a bit like yeah. uh, Golier, I suppose. Or not that I've ever been in any of his classes, but I did. What's the bouffant? What's the game? What's the yeah. what's the thing you're doing? Or yeah. Commedia dell'arte. What's the what's the what's the lart say here? What's the trick? What's the yeah. game? Yeah. So, so I was getting into the character, and um, he was—he just came fully formed, yes. fully formed. And uh, you could ask Ronnie Rigsby an opinion on anything, and he'd have an opinion. He, and especially if he knew nothing about it, of yeah, course. Which, 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 which you know mirrors most people in life, doesn't it? What happened was I—I I blagged the um, equipment off Brian, and he came along to a couple of gigs and. We set up the screen and I'd do it. I'd be hiding behind a curtain, like, you know, don't look behind the screen, you know, Wizard yeah. of Oz. Yeah. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And then my girlfriend of the time, Marion Pashley, a, a really good comic, she said, well, why don't you just dress up like an old man, you arsehole? Yeah. I went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I put that together and, and then I started doing him. And at the same time, about so I was doing gigs as Ronnie Rigsby and he was going down really, really well. So this would be about 1996, 97, I yeah. think. There was a brilliant gig in Islington in London called um, the Fortnite Club. Uh, and it was a place where old comedians could try new material. Right. What was that? Oh, yeah. So Fortnite. so they, so they, I got I got asked to be um, compare oh, at the, uh, every other Monday at the Market Tavern, which is a sister club. And then the Fortnite Club needed a, a, a compare. So... So every two weeks for the next 10 or 15 years, I was doing Ronnie Rigsby. And that led to a TV show, a radio pilot, like like loads of... Uh, we've got a taste, perhaps, uh, but how would you describe uh, Ronnie, R Ronnie Rigsby in, a, in a, a couple of lines? What, what what sort of character is he? Who is he? He's a very bitter, failed... The only showbiz personality... And the only thing he's got, in, got going for him is he's the only one left standing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so it's a time perhaps to settle some scores. That's how it started. Yeah. And then it's morphed into more, um, he's not too sure why he's there now either. Yeah. You know, he just can't do anything else. I think he thinks he's a spokesperson for a lost generation. And what about but, his what about his humour then, um, as in jokes? Um, I think from what I remember that uh, would I be right in saying that some of those are near the knuckle? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I think a lot of his stuff is uh, there's things there's things that I can say as Ronnie that I can't possibly yeah say as me um, because if I say that as a middle aged man, I mean, yeah. If I say those things, it just comes across sleazy. Now, Ronnie already is sleazy. Yes, yes. So, you know, so it, there's a big difference. This won't work on set, but there's a big difference between Ronnie Rigsby saying, uh, you're mentally undressing me with your eyes, aren't you? Don't worry, love. I'm doing it right back to you. <laughs> yeah. What I see, I like. If I say that, yeah. as me, it's like, oh, hello. You know, 
Nurse? As you say, we're laughing at the flawed character. This sounds really good. And and you were saying you moved from the sort of um, the technology to being uh, present. And I'm sure that was a great, uh, the right decision. What, what what about what he wears? I'm interested in how you become uh, Ronnie because you know him so well. You can think like him and act like him. But is yeah. there anything that you wear or that you put on that helps not only sell him to the audience, but also help you believe that you're Ronnie? The, I mean, the costume's very important. He's, he wears a, like a tartan jacket that's a bit stained and there's very knackered trousers, like dinner, you know, dinner, uh, like the half, bottom half of the dinner suit, basically. Yes. Yeah. And comfortable shoes and a frilly shirt and an b- open bow tie like he's just come off from Vegas or that. And for no re- for a reason which is never really explained, he's wearing a Christmas Santa hat all year round. Yeah. Um, what do you think? What do what what do you think that might be? What, what I don't does know. It's just, <laughs> it's best not to. It was ask. just a way to. It's just a way to lift my hairline out of the yeah. way, right? Yeah. So I'd look older. Um, but I don't think it needs explanation. <laughs> no. I, I mean, I've I've said as Ronnie Rigsby on stage, I've said it's my, uh, you know, it's my tribute to um, the ancient Siberian uh, shamanist, shamanistic tradition, where uh, in the same way as comedians are the gatekeepers between the worlds, then uh, you know, uh, the, the the shaman, the Siberian shamans used to wear red caps yeah. to celebrate the red cap mushroom. So do I. And then you know, or I wish it could be Christmas every day. Yeah. Well, but it's never explained. It's just no, I'm wearing no, a red, no. I'm wearing a hat. Sometimes I'm wearing um like a, a Moroccan Is it like a fez? Like a mini not? fez, like a yeah. mini fez, yeah. yeah. But it's like a softer Yeah. But it's just okay. purely to keep the hair off my face. But I'll tell no, you the one thing that please, I'm sorry to enjoy please. is no. the one thing, the only thing I need uh is the glasses. Ah, okay. That's interesting. I've done it on radio. Yeah. Um yeah. and and it's just all I need is the glasses and then I can Yes you know, I can go into the bloke. That's good. That's good to know, actually, because interestingly, when I do Ian Crawford, Cutler Safety Expert, the um, I always need to, even though he wears glasses, and I don't think mm-hmm. anybody else would care or even yeah. notice. I have to switch the glasses. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, definitely, and then I then I feel I'm I'm there. Although the the wig also also helps. I just um just wondered then about the the writing process because it sounds like uh, there you were in Cannes and maybe mm-hmm. you almost had a fully formed uh, improvised act then. But how how has the material evolved and what what is your writing process for Ronnie or indeed any other comedy that you do? Well, um. I think to call it a writing process might might be over egging the pudding. It's just yeah. it's just me mucking around basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I'm a great believer in. Uh, in fact, I started my book with this quote. I'm a great believer in the child psychologist Winnicott said um, in a slightly different context. But he said all creativity comes out of play. Oh yeah. And uh, I just like playing, and I you know I like I'll have a I'll have a rough idea, uh, and it becomes. It's a crap metaphor, but the only thing oh, this one, this one, and this won't go down well at all in an audio broadcast. But you know, like um, you know, like as a hobby in my spare time, I make silver things. I mean, you may okay. not have known that, but I just like I like making. So I don't know if you have in the artistic process yourself. I don't know if you ever make anything or just muck around. Or well, if you, I think it's you. You might have a different process, but for me, it's the same thing. I think it's the same thing about comedy. Um, let me try and think. So, can you? I don't know if you can see that. Yes, I can. It's a uh, uh, swirly, three-dimensional clay template yeah. or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so? and it, it's just something I made out of plasticine Fimo on the day of the coronation because yeah. I was bored. 
Yeah. Because uh, and everyone was getting up and singing songs in the household. Uh, you know, just to piss me off. I think. And what so, is it about? Where's the connection then? Because I think I can sense where you might be going but what do you say is the connection between that uh creativity and the creativity on on stage then or, or... well what i'm what i mean is i suppose is like what i was going to say is you start with one idea and then by physicalizing it in the world it becomes completely different yes so, yes um again this won't make any sense to people listening to it but that's the finished version of it and that's 100 oh, okay. silver right i so, see i see so it's gone from a vague idea to a working model or a yeah. script yeah. and then you muck around in the real world and you end up with something which is different because you're messing around in the real world yes. with slightly different materials in the yeah. same way as you have a few ideas on the back of a fag packet you go to a club you try them out the audience laugh at bits they kind of in the immortal words of hugh thomas they give the energy of uh, we like that we like some more and sometimes they go we don't like that we never want to see that again thank yeah. you yeah. So you so you get you're being directed on stage with this idea. You've got a rough blueprint, yes, your, your rough yes. idea, and some of it's a bit scripted, and some of it's just a vague idea. I know I'm going from this to this. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Uh, there's a, the trajectory. The crash and burn is. I'm going to start with this idea, and it's going to crash and burn down to here. That's where my tragedy becomes yeah. their comedy. You know, okay. my apoplectic rage yeah. becomes their comedy because I can't deal with the simple situation. So you have this vague idea for a script and then um, it gets honed and refined by working in front of the. Yes. The audience. Public. Yeah. I, and, and, you, and, then, and then you bet it please. down. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's right. That's, and do you find sometimes that those sort of those ideas you have, you try them on stage, but sometimes it's the things you hadn't thought of that maybe yeah. you say in the moment yeah. to get you out of Very the situation. Much. I mean, I, mean I, I really trust my back brain now. You know, and it's again not it's not from a position of arrogance of going, yeah, something would come out of my head because obviously some night something doesn't come out of your head and they boo you off. Yeah. But but it's happened so many times in the past, and it and it is like I think I said earlier. You know, the the way it's it's dangerous thing to say, but yeah, maybe on some level all art imitates life, right? Yes, yes. You know, and in some way all comedy, all stand up. All yeah. verbal comedy mirrors the medium that it comes from, i.e., speech, i.e., interaction. So, yes. so that's why if you get, that's why maybe some actors have trouble playing to the crowd because they're used. They think, no, I know how to be angry, and it's like this, Marjorie. Yeah. You know, so you know, so that's a terrible slight on every actor in the world. I do <laughs> but I, but I, I like the way I like the way you're going, and I, and I, and I think there's a, a lot lot in this about that that communication, and the, I suppose it's the natural it's the naturalism of the the stand up, and and as we know, non character uh, acts are are on stage trying to convince us that this is stuff that they're just making up in the moment, and and it yeah. is just a conversation, and the more authentic uh they are the more the audience will perhaps perhaps buy into it so there's there's definitely I, something there i don't think there's that much difference between character comics and stand-ups i mean i think the social construct that calls itself logan murray or better still the social construct that calls itself ronnie rigsby is just as fictitious as the social construct that calls itself logan murray it's just a mask presented to the world well, except that, except that you're doing one of them 
15 hours a day and you're doing the other one uh, half an hour on stage three yeah, times yeah. a week. So, but, but, or, but then, but then if yes, I'm doing me, yes. if I'm doing me on stage, then the audience is still getting the heightened version of me. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, how many, yeah. like, the, the, as a, as a stand-up. Oh, yeah. You know, as, a, as, yeah. A, as a regular stand-up. People will buy a drink afterwards and go, oh God, I love your stuff. And that's awesome. and then and they're massively disappointed in my case because they don't get the razor sharp diamond yeah, vision yeah, person yeah. on stage. You get the person going, Oh, thanks very much. I thought, no, right. oh, is that the that's time? Right. I don't is there a night bus. You know, <laughs> exactly. so um exactly. But, but, but what I was gonna say was I think that stand-ups by offering this heightened version of themselves are not doing something that dissimilar to what character comics do. I've got you. I've got you. It's, no, it's, it's a, just, it's a, it's a persona. Yeah. Uh, it's just that one appears to be real and authentic, even though, yeah. as you say, it has to be exaggerated and it yeah, can't yeah. be the same as the off stage. Whereas the other one, you could argue the character is more honest because we're not pretending to be uh, authentic and real. We're saying, look, we're a, we're a fiction uh, and we're going to use this as a vehicle for comedy. Uh, but, except I do not, when I'm on stage as yeah. Ronnie Rigsby, I believe everything that I say as Ronnie, don't you? Do you know I mean, Go I believe on. that, I, you know, I could imagine that you, I, I do believe that I'm celebrating 158 years in showbiz tonight. <laughs> I do, I do think I've had an affair with Gina Lola Brigida yeah. uh, or, uh, or that Peter Sellers stole my career, you know, for the time you're up there and it, it make me yeah. sound, might make me sound like a madman, but, I, but I do, you just, you know, the same ways when you're a kid, yeah. You, yeah, you can't get to sleep at night because you think that maybe the witch is hiding behind the curtain. Of course, our imagination course. is so powerful. I think if you, yeah, 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 you know, no, that's that's interesting. I'm really interested in that, and also what you say about play and either what we're releasing or what we're tapping into, and it's either that that childlike. Uh, experience of play which is all absorbing and we're able to you know put on a I don't know a cardboard hat and imagine mm -hmm. that we're uh, a, a knight or something and mm -hmm. and and uh, as you say we're, we're we're tapping into that thing which has been lost in in adulthood which is perhaps is that imagination and ability yeah. to enter a different a different world So this is this is all really really interesting. What situation are you at the moment with Ronnie? Have you have you taken him as far as you as you want to? Can you do anything else? Have you got other characters up your sleeve? Have you had enough of Ronnie? What you, what, no, what, what no, plans I, I, what plans have you got? What are you working um, on? Well, I'm very I'm very lazy. I'm very reactive. So um, if people ask me to like the gig we were at, yeah, uh, yeah Steve yeah. said uh, originally um, I was. I was going to do a spot there, and then I, there was some change. So he said, "Can you compare?" Which I love comparing. Yeah. So I said, "Yeah," but because the workshops have taken over, literally taken over my life, like yeah. like in a good way. It's not again nice little arbor for a middle aged, late yeah. middle aged man to find himself in. So I I can see that we should just say something about the workshops because that that's been what a mainstay and a key part of your work over the yeah, last yeah. what uh, couple of decades maybe yeah, or so. Yeah. How did, how did that come about and then what has it evolved into and, and which bits do you enjoy and which bits do you find a bit more um, challenging? Well, what, what, I have to go back a little bit when I did me when I did my masters uh, I, I was was you know very small pool of people then. But occasionally people wanted to read it and and my opinions on things. Basically, the word got out that I was interested in comedy theory. Yeah. Although although that you know our understanding of what comedy theory was has completely 
rubbish in the 1980s, in my opinion. Um, there's very few, you know, this, I think the, the next generation have come on leaps and they, it's almost like they have an innate sense of it. Anyway, yeah. so I got asked to be, um, you know, Tony Allen. Yes. Okay. So Tony Allen, lovely man. Um, I've got his book as well. Yeah. Attitude. Uh, yeah. 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 Brilliant book. Brilliant yeah. book. Uh, very wise man. He was the comedian in residence at uh, Middlesex Uni and he could make one year. So the staff said, can you do it? So I did. And then I did a couple of other universities as well, a couple of colleges. And um, I was just working on ideas of trying to get these young performers to generate live comedy performance, yeah. not necessarily stand up. It's something that, you know, yeah. they could make money out yeah. of to be horribly capitalist about. And then I realized I could make much more money in the private sector. Well, actually, I didn't realize it. Hills Jago runs the Amuse Moose yeah. Club in London. She approached Hugh Thomas and he declined and he said, but you might want to do it. Yeah. So I, all right. Hills did all the admin for the course, the first course. This is about 2000. And uh, the first course, um, you mentioned about Marcel Lacan. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. Before we recorded. Well, he was on the first course. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Greg Davis was, Rod Gilbert was. Oh, wow. uh, Steve Hall, who uh, does a lot of writing and is a very good comic, but does a lot of writing for uh, other comics on the telly. Yeah. So there were, had a, the, so loads of really good comics did the first one. Yeah, and, yeah. and I thought when I started, because it was different from the university experience, I thought, well, you know, these are people who are paying money yeah. to learn to be funny. And at the time, I was thinking, well, you can't. You're either funny or you're not, surely. You know, you're not. Yeah. You know, but, you know, maybe I could, at least I can try and, get the people who are funny to be funnier and maybe I can offer the people who are no hopers a bit of an experience. Yeah. But then everyone did the final show and they had a brilliant time. And then we did another course. They all had a brilliant time. And then by the time the third course came along, I thought, why am I worried about their, their final show? Because yeah. they're, all human beings are hardwired for this. I think that's, that is interesting because we might sometimes think, you know, that we're, were born naturally funny. All you need is some good material, a stage, and uh, pure comedy genius that, that, yeah, yeah. That, that we've that we've got. But that, but perhaps that's not true. Then you're saying, are you saying, uh, perhaps perhaps unlike singing, uh, not everybody can sing in tune, can they? Uh, but but do you think anybody can get on stage and be funny? Can they? Well, I think it's. I think the only thing that stops you being funny is you getting in the way of yourself. Right. right. Yeah. But if you, but you think about it, even the most humorless person in the world, some point in their life has made other people laugh. And, and in, a, in a quite a, a non arch way or a non, you know, they've just done it from a, it's just been a moment of glee. Yes. Everyone's done yes. that. So this is something that we're hardwired for, I think. Yes. It's, you know, I think, something, I think we've had it as long as we've had language. I think you're right. I think you're right. And in actual fact, I think, I think laughter and conversation is really the big thing, the main thing. And we as comedians have just, have just cornered a little bit of that. And we've just, and we make it out, it's a it. really, we make it, it's in our interest going so hard. I suppose to refine the act and to get material that, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that um, got the uh, the laugh rate and what have you. But yeah, that's. That, but if it's it is, your joy, if yes, it's your joy, then yes. that's then it doesn't seem like hard work. No, you know, it's no. Like we. I mean, there were a couple of formative experiences which made me think stand up isn't me delivering my jokes to other people. That that stand up is much more than that. All right. So one of them was, and again, the first one sounds incredibly self-serving. Like, oh, and then I stormed it. And yeah. but you've got to remember, 
I've died on my ass more times than I can count. You know, I've been booed sure. off. I've been sure, booed sure. on again, sure, you know, sure. and everything in between. So but occasionally you get the chemistry right. And uh, it was one year in, I was comparing the comedy tent in Glastonbury. And uh, Frank Skinner was comparing the uh, burlesque tent. And burlesque was just the catch-all for anything that wasn't circus, stand-up, you know, or straight stand-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a few a few of us would do it, but it was just a... It was just a catch-all for one person plays and things like that. And the Glastonbury people would just drop their kids off and just leave them there all day while they just got whacked out their gourd. And then they'd come back and pick them up in the evening. So these the feral kids going mental. So I remember one of them just throwing lumps of mud at this poor woman trying to do a one-woman one version of Florence Nightingale. It was like, it was like, it was, it was just brutal, right? And he said, can you do the last shift in the burlesque tent? Because I need, I want to get home to Birmingham slightly early. I can go tonight if you do that. I went, yeah. yeah. So I did the last shift with no expectation. And of course, at that time of your set, of your career, you think my material is, um, it's like a finite pie. Yeah. So I've done yeah. my relationship stuff. I've done my stuff about parents. I've done, and what's there left to do? Yeah. Um, but I had this brilliant experience there where the audience kind of were giving me energy and egging me on to say things. And I'd say something, they'd go, yes, yes. So I'd, go, I'd say a bit more. And then they'd suggest things and I'd go, yes. And and and, it, and some of them were clearly on pharmaceutical substances. Uh, and and, and some yeah. were just drunk. But there was this, me with this moment where I thought, uh, this is what stand-up is. It's not me delivering stuff to you. It's us generating this thing. And me mm -hmm. accessing that bit of going to this space in my mind in our minds yeah. where i can yeah. just say stuff and you'll get yeah. it and you'll react to it and i get a chance to react to you i mean i think a joke is not set up and punchline i think it's a thought and a reaction to that thought so that's they're it. giving me a reaction i'm reacting to them and it's just like this lovely that's interesting that, that's interesting and that that's one formative experience you must tell me about the other but that that can help to explain i think sometimes um i'm not sure why some of the stuff i say and do is funny i might say you know in in that we learn from the audience don't we and when it comes to character it, it, you're right that it doesn't necessarily have to be punchline um but it's just something that for whatever reason <laughs> tickles the audience well, that's, that's, uh, i love tickles that, the audience but yeah. in your act, sometimes you'll get a massive laugh just from the, a tilt of a head or, That's right. or the way you've just, you know, you just move your wrist or something as if it's like, so there we go. You know, That's, and it's like because right. it's because to to him, it's deadly serious. Yeah, it's yeah. like this is saving lives. Yeah, that's I mean. right. That's right. Uh, so that was one formative experience. Was there a, was there another one yeah. in terms of your yeah. insight into what comedy? Yeah. Might be? And yeah. that was, yeah. uh, again, Glastonbury. And um, well, a few years later, Jonathan Kay uh, was doing a show called The Fool at the in the one. It wasn't the comedy tent, it was the theatre tent. I had the time off, and um, I mean, Tony Allen actually writes about this night in his book Attitude. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's the same. We were at the same show. I'll have a look. Um, Jonathan Kay did this magical thing where um, he just comes out in a fool's gear, and he just he, he just gets us all to. I, can't, I don't even know. I don't even want to speak. He just, his, his catch for it or his hook was, um, what should we do now? And then somebody suggested it and we do it. And then somebody did that. And by the fifth or sixth suggestion, somebody said, let's leave the tent. And he went, yes. And we all left the tent. And then what should we do now? And we just start for the next hour. Yeah. We're just, it's the most liberating hour of my life where absolutely full of glee, 
where collectively as an audience we were doing things like we would suggest that we should have a race <laughs> from one row of uh, chemical toilets yeah. to the ones across the field. So we're all hiding in the toilets and then three, two, one, bang, and we're all running across. The other one's just full of glee, right? Yes. Then somebody said, that man's the Messiah. I, I mean, it sounds awful the way I'm saying it. No, 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 we, no, this sounds good. This sounds like pure pure play, really, again. Yeah, like, yeah. So, but... so I came away thinking, it's not about jokes and it's not about my ego yeah, and it's yeah. not about me showing how clever I am and it's not about me dividing my little pie of material into this and that. It's this continuum that you're, you're playing with. And it's, I wanted to be in that space again. I wanted to be in that place where, I mean, the, I don't think comedy is big or clever. I think, I think the, you know, there's nothing, I mean, occasionally on the course, I'll say, you know, comedy can be liberating, but that sounds very new age. It can also be awful. It can yeah, also yeah. lead to bullying and stuff. You know, comedy won't make you a better person. It'll just make you a different person. You know? oh, sure. So, well, that's interesting, and I suppose the, I suppose what you're describing there is, is almost that that state of comedy or state of mind, or almost um, a position you can get to where an audience can trust you and you're trusting them yeah. and you're working together. But but most comedians need material to get to that point so for example what i'm trying to say is that that a great comedian a relaxed comedian will react and interact with the audience and react to what happens and the funniest stuff is often not that funny in the but it but it's the fact that you're referring to something that's actually happening and live in that room and it will often get much bigger laughs than mm. any joke that you've spent hours yeah. writing perhaps yeah but i think but they do that once they've reached a position where they feel we can trust you Yes. You know? Yes. So I think it's quite nice for the comedian of any ilk to yeah. go on with the energy of so anyway, as if yeah. like, you know, just yeah. you know, like, bang, yeah. we're here. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jerry Sadowitz taught me a, a, a great thing because as a magician, he's really into structure. Yeah. And uh, the Bib and Bob show was massively structured. It's, uh, you know, it sounds so bleeding obvious saying this now, but you can build up. You think about most most comedy acts that you see our shows uh, i'd say every james bond film as well and i'd say most opera and most entertainment that grabs people that isn't sort of like people going yes i quite enjoyed the quite enjoyed yeah. that you know that, that is visceral it seems to be that it will start with a bang 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 so so when i'm going bang 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 i mean laugh laugh yeah. laugh laugh if you're a comedian so what you're doing at that point is you're giving yourself the thrust yeah take off to for getting the audience to enter your world yes, you know so it's, yes. and now we're in this reality so you think about john maloney where he starts his set by um he's got some brilliant one-liner he just comes on very unassuming does one line does another does another does another and the audience laughing really i mean they're very funny jokes uh, and they are jokes uh you know thought afterthought and then and then he he gets he gets there and then he he's hit cruising altitude. He's reached the state that 1950s comedians would go, let me tell you a little bit about myself, ladies and gentlemen. You can let your foot off the throttle there. But then that's the bit where they laugh when you raise an eyebrow. Yeah. Or when yeah. you realize the implications of what you've said and you now have to dig yourself out of a hole. You know, that's whereas if you did that at the beginning, they go, Oh, this man doesn't know what he's doing. Yes. But so so yeah, the old adage of start with your best stuff and finish with your best stuff, kind of, yeah, work, I'm just works, saying that, yeah, works. yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a truism. 
One thing I didn't ask you actually, just just I'm squeezing one last question, but it, because I'm focusing on character. So I I personally, uh, most of the comedy I've ever done has been behind the mask of the character. Mm. And I feel like another comedian I've spoken to, I think Sol, Sol Bernstein, St- Steve, Steve Jameson, has mm-hmm. said in a way he's jealous of um, Sol because he feels, well, I could, why couldn't I be that funny? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So do you, do, you, do you have a feeling that, do you, do you think you could be as funny as a stand-up? Have you been and could you be? Or is Ronnie funnier than you'll ever be? I think Ronnie unleashes a power in me as a creator to rant. And I really, really like that. And I think it's, uh, my girlfriend accuses me of being very dark. And I think I think, the thing, I think I am. But I also think it's something to do with making a pact with your demons. You know, rather than, like, you know, if you're a new actor and you're on stage and you're feeling nervous, play up to being nervous rather than trying to help cover it, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah. sort of yeah. like, you know, rather than back, you know, drop the microphone, you know, drop it again. Let them know that you're, like you're yeah, making yeah. a pact to that particular demon. So, I mean, I think it's it was slightly galling that that Ronnie Rigsby had a slightly better TV CV than I did for a few years. Well, that, so, this this is interesting because I've got a bit of kitchen sink psychology, and I never even I never even thought of it until I started thinking about it. And and whereas uh, to me, Ian Crawford was just this daft guy who was obsessed with the exaggerated focus of the dangers of teaspoons, forks, and butter knives. <laughs> but I realised, uh, I think that 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 it's an exaggeration of my own uh, nervousness and anxiety and neurosis mm-hmm. over, you know, fear of flying. I don't mm-hmm. like um, mm-hmm. losing control. I don't even like going on a ferry or a boat or a boat trip. And I'm always worried about the where's the fire exit. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so to a certain extent, without realising it, this character, Ian Crawford, who's obsessed with some sort of daft aspect of health and safety, it, it, it might just be coincidence, but 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 maybe he, he he's um, some sort of manifestation of the of the psyche. So so therefore, well, I wonder that. Yeah, I mean, is, with is Ronnie, Ronnie Rigsby, yeah. yeah, is he is he my shadow in a Jungian sense? Yes. Is he a, is he? A, but again, that's making a pact with that demon, yeah. you know. So rather than, and we all, I always say this, but you know, we all die, we all pay taxes, yeah, we all suffer loss, yeah. Um, and the only power that we have, it seems to me, is to laugh about it. We can't, yes. you know, it's, it's tragic when somebody dies or a pet dies. Absolutely yeah. tragic. I'm not saying you should, you know, I'm not saying write a string of dead cat jokes. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's we can either be imprisoned by the experience or we can liberate yeah. ourselves. I mean, there's a book by, I haven't read it for years, but it had a massive impression on me uh, ages ago by Ramsey Dukes. It's called The Good, The Bad, The Funny. And uh, he suggests that human beings, he's a psychologist who lives in South Africa now, but he he suggests that, um, you know, we're usually stuck in binary, thought, you know, good, bad, men, women, light, dark, you know, my way of the highway, inside, outside. It's all binary. It's all choices like that. And, you know, how many times have you been at a party where you've got no opinion on something and somebody said about this and it's just annoyed you a bit, so you've gone like that. And then there's a, and pretty soon you're going, Kill all the Welsh, you know, or, uh, you know, where did that monster arrive from? Because you're just thesis antithesis. You're just yeah, using that yeah, old yeah. standard model. So we're stuck in that. And he said, so the good, the bad, although they're thinking they're the good and you're the bad. And then what Ramsey Duke says is there's a, it's not a binary, it's a trinary. Yeah. There's also the funny. Yeah, there's yeah. the funny. And yeah. the funny makes you realise how absurd both the other two positions are. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. No? Yes, so and recognizes so no that's it, and recognizes that 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 human um, that human condition. So so yeah, I mean, it, it, it is Ronnie there for a manifestation? If he's bitter and twisted about the world of um, uh, entertainment, um, when you first did Ronnie, you were a much younger man, uh, like like Steve Coogan, who in his twenties yeah. would do yeah. Alan Partridge. But I have a yeah. theory that that Steve Coogan, by the way, is Alan Partridge now. Yes, He's yes. grown into yeah. him, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, and and likewise, Al Murray, who would who would be playing this old uh, uh, whatever character as the landlord, he now is um, yeah. the, the the landlord. So, yeah. have you grown into uh, Ronnie Rigsby? Have you become him? And to a certain extent or not? Luckily, no. Although I do shout a lot when I'm comparing the the gigs as as me. But I think um if anything, I mean it's an it's a cliche to say, but it's like, like I vent all that on stage. I vent all that. So off stage, I'm very I just don't know anything off yeah. stage. I'm just yeah. like yeah. you know, I feel like um like I've just gone back to school. I'm full of opinions, but I know they're all wrong. I'm very lucky to work with young people in their 20s sometimes who are on the course or, you know, members of my extended family who are now young adults. And uh, I just can see every time I open my mouth that I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just, oh, it's Uncle Logan being stupid. You know, it's like, it's just, I no longer know anything. That's that's all I can say. <laughs> on stage, very short. Off stage, a complete cloud of unknowing. Well, that's uh, far, far from uh, the truth, even though that might be your feeling and experience, because uh, we'll wind things up shortly, because you've certainly shown us that you uh, know a lot and, and you uh, have, have obviously helped nurture and nudge ruin. and facilitate and ruin <laughs> plenty of careers along the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, no, this is great. I've a genuine privilege. It's been fantastic talking to you, Logan. I've really enjoyed it, finding out about your background and your ideas on, on comedy and character comedy so thanks for your time no thank you very much i really enjoyed it thank you